0: Every CSM is run up against this this challenge, which is they want to be business value oriented. They want to jump to that final step, mm-hmm. and the customer is like, whoa, 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 hold on! I haven't even implemented. it. Yeah. I don't. E- no one's using in the company. Like, I have. Why are we having this conversation?
1: Welcome to NPS, I love you, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host Ben Win, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. Brian LaFile is the Global Head of Customer Success Strategic Programs at Looker, a business intelligence platform that was bought by Google in 2020 for $2.6 billion. In this episode, we explore unique ideas that blend the human touch with powerful data to drive customer happiness, like behavior mapping instead of customer journey mapping, predictive analytics for customer success, and how the five love languages can apply to CS. So other than renovating an entire house while you live in it, what have been your go-to pandemic activities?
0: The house renovation has definitely kept us busy, to be honest. That's where like 90 plus percent of our time is going and like just free hours in the day. If it's not you know, managing our contractor and our other projects, like we chose not to do a general contractor. So we're kind of like project managing the whole thing. So in <laughs> okay. addition to CS responsibilities and work and Google and integration and everything else, we were like, well, we can probably take this on. You know, We're good project managers, let's just do it. And uh, so we're, we're doing that. And then we're also doing a lot of the work ourselves. So for instance, we're, we're like building an outdoor movie theater. And so we're like stringing up lights and we're putting posts in the ground and we built like oh, a sweet. yoga deck in the backyard and stuff. So. That's been keeping us immensely busy. I can imagine. But outside of that, we're, we're in Joshua Tree. So we hike almost every weekend. So we'll go into the park. We'll go into Black Rock. It's, it's really fun and beautiful down here. And the weather just kind of turned. So it's, it's starting to get a little bit warmer. And it's really beautiful. So that's, that's what's been keeping us, keeping us busy.
1: I don't know if I should be happy or sad for your contractor that they got hired by two customer success professionals to renovate their house. Like, are you doing like weekly business reviews with them every week? Here's the almost, here's the almost, wins, here's the challenges. So, yeah.
0: so, so we are we are definitely fans of of frequent proactive touch points. Uh, <laughs> so, taking a lot of our CS work and applying it to building a house and and renovating. So, yeah. I mean, we have constant communication with our contractor. We try to hate, stay ahead of what are the decisions that we have to make, and that's kind of like the biggest thing. You never realize when you're when you're kind of like building or renovating the house, just how many decisions have to go into mm. the color of the concrete and the type of, you know, beveled edge that's going to go on your countertop and what kind of countertop and how you're going to plaster the bathroom or the fixtures or anything. So we have learned so much. It's our first home renovation. I think that our, our contractor likes the proactivity. He says he likes working with us. So I think that that's good. But yeah, we're definitely a, a house full of
1: customer success over here. We'll see when he gets uh, when you get his NPS score at the end of the reno. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Being at Looker for so long, is it safe to assume that you're a data analytics guy? Is that sort of your your main your main thing? Yeah, I,
0: I would say so. You know, I'm a I'm a self-proclaimed kind of data nerd and and customer success enthusiast, right? So everything I've done in my, my past life, I've run in a, a support team, I've run an account management team, founded customer success here at, at Looker. But I, I think that kind of everything that I've, I've done has, has been around or in the data space. I actually started my career as an analyst. So I was the person that was, you know, writing SQL, querying the database, gathering data. And it was kind of an interesting kind of pivot for me because initially I was very much hands-on in the analyst realm. And what a lot of our sales team and account management team at the time was saying, oh, we need data to, you know, replay a lot of the engagement on our campaigns because I was in digital advertising at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I got pulled into a lot of those conversations. And so our account managers and account executives were like, oh, we need to have Brian in these calls. And I was like, huh, this is an interesting role. You know, I get to be working with customers. I love working and being client facing, but I also get to work with data. And so I thought that, you know, account management and then soon to be customer success was kind of a, a best of both worlds kind of scenario.
1: Yeah, and I think it's pretty rare to see that proclivity in people where you enjoy or revel in the analytics as much as you enjoy and revel in the uh, people side of things. Generally, those those don't always go hand in hand. So it's a really cool kind of mix of, of skills that you have there.
0: I think that the only difference that I see between the old world of account management that was very relationship oriented. Hey, I'm going to take you to a basketball game and we're going to get you to sign this on-prem contract for a million dollars over three years, right? Right. The only difference between that and customer success, in my mind, is the data that we now have in SaaS, because now you have the ability to analyze and understand how they feel via NPS or CSAT responses. You have the ability to understand usage and engagement metrics previously as an account manager, if you went back into the early nineties, you were flying blind to all that stuff. So you were, you relied on your relationship that you had with right. the customers. Did they deploy? You didn't care. You know, they already set the contract, <laughs> yeah. but the world of customer success in SaaS has now opened up the opportunity to leverage data to make the relationship much more engaging and proactive. And so, you know, it's, it's really interesting to be in that world. And I just love both sides of it, but yeah, in my mind, that's the, that's the key difference.
1: Definitely. And, and I mean, the best stories, have data like it, it just makes it that much more compelling you can get all these anecdotes as a csm and it's fantastic to share these quick wins but at the end of the day if you can tell a story through data and it, it just gives it a whole other level of effect on on the reader and it just really communicates the value that much more right right and, and hey look i mean when we say data as well you know i'm looking at both
0: qualitative and quantitative mm-hmm. so you know, you can't understate the value of getting an NPS comment back from somebody, right? Hey, here's something that I took time out of my busy day. I gave you feedback. That is va- that's gold. Yeah. And so like we look at both sides of it, but being able to combine the qualitative data from users themselves and from customers themselves with usage data and then being able as a CSM to kind of weave the narrative of how that customer's doing and replay the value. That's the magic sauce. Absolutely. So you have to be able to look at that
1: at both. I mean, you obviously spend a lot of time in data and analytics at, at work. Is that uh, something in your personal life as well? Are you hooked up to Fitbits and trackers and all that kind of stuff for, for that sort of side of things?
0: Yeah, so I've got my Fitbit on right here. Nice. So I'm, like tra- I'm tracking my sleep and all that stuff. But no, so L- Lindsay and I, because of course we both come from a customer success background, we look at data in all sorts of our life. So we're looking at, you know, I'm, I'm a self-proclaimed kind of personal finance kind of guru. So I love kind of like tracking and like I do all of our own personal finance kind of stuff. But then when it comes to the home renovation, right, strict budget, how are we doing? How are we pacing? Are we over budget, under budget? What's the timeline? Like we use all of that stuff to try and guide, you know, our goals and what we want to do in our lives.
1: Definitely. Sort of going back to, to specifically customer success teams. When it comes to CS teams, what do you think many CS leaders get wrong about their analytics strategies? So to give a little bit of context, Looker is a business intelligence platform, right? And we're
0: cloud-based. We work with a number of different SQL dialects and we work predominantly, like customer success analytics is a a big channel or vertical for us. You know, when we advise a lot of customer success companies and, you know, people that are just trying to tackle, you know, BI for for their customer success teams, I think we see that a lot of teams just want to do everything at once. And it's it's not iterative. And I've seen a a number of successful companies because I I advise um, both here within the Google portfolio of companies, I also advise with uh, first-round capital, and a lot of these companies say, "Oh, I've got to go and get perfect, flawless data, and I got to do so in the first quarter." That's not realistic, right? Data is a, data is a hard thing to tackle, and so I think that if you're able to take a more iterative approach. For instance, when we started our Looker uh, customer success team, we ran our customer success analytics, so to speak, out of Google Sheets for probably about twelve to eighteen months. Oh wow! I mean, it, it was it was that simple. And over time, we were able to make quick iterations, change the calculations, understand retention rates, and then understand okay, now that we have the definition of what these metrics mean. let's step up to an actual bi tool that can help us and kind of codify that that logic and so you know it's don't don't be afraid to be iterative you know you can start with something in google sheets i think it was jeff over at, at higher logic he, he just shared something that was you know a publicly traded SaaS company that runs their entire cs analytics in like a spreadsheet that could be like fit in a one pager that's all you need that's what i think i see a lot of companies they're, they're like oh my gosh i've got to go get all this data and it's, i got to get it done this quarter Nah, not necessarily, you know, take small steps.
1: Yeah. And working backwards, I guess, can help from what you need the end result to be and figuring sort of that minimum minimum viable analytics or something like that. It's always the simpler stuff. I, I was talking to someone on a, a re, one of our recent uh, episodes, it hasn't come out yet, but we're talking about the, uh, one of my favorite sort of quotes or pieces of advice, which is if I'd had more time, I'd have written a shorter letter. Yep. And I think analytics, it's very much the same way. It's like, the more you think about it, the more bland you get, the more in depth you get, the simpler the picture becomes, and you're able to say, oh, yeah. all of these other analytics stem from these three core metrics. So if we can track these three core ones, then the rest of it we can just sort of take for granted will happen
0: yeah and and i think with analytics you hit the nail on the head right there, there is to some degree like that 80 20 rule in analytics right 80 percent of your performance and your power comes from a very small subset of metrics that you mentioned so that could be for for companies that are trying to maintain uh retention rates it could be gross retention and grr and that's kind of like the, the north star metric if you want to get a little bit deeper into the weeds You know, Facebook a a while back, they always had this like North Star metric that was something like if you get 14 friends in the first two weeks, you're like a sticky user for life. Okay. Every company needs to understand what that core engagement metric is. So if I'm if I'm Twilio, it might be I need to get send X number of API calls in the first month. If I'm Dropbox, I need to store this number of files in the first 30 days. But whatever that metric is, you know, hone in on that. And then the other kind of elements that are kind of priorities for you, focus there. And then the other ancillary metrics can start to build and embellish that. So for instance, if you know that you need, if I'm Dropbox and I need to store five files in the first 30 days to become a user for life, then you can layer on, okay, well, then we'll start adding NPS down the line. How do they feel about the user? experience? How do they feel about using our product? That's extra value. But for right now, we need to get this core metric first.
1: That is an awesome uh, piece of advice, an awesome way of thinking about it. And it also is in line with something I've also talked with a lot of leaders about recently, which is uh, this emphasis on trying to move from lagging to leading indicators. Yeah. So that you, you just outlined a clear example, right? NPS is a lagging indicator. They've already used it. They don't want to recommend you, oh shit, we got to go back and fix stuff. Versus, uh, like you said, understanding well, if they do these three actions within this amount of time, then they're more like they're 80% likely to renew their contract. And a lot of companies they're sort of at this stage where they know that that's what they need to do, but they're not sure exactly how to identify what those leading indicators are. That's problem one. And then problem two is. How do you systematically do that? So can you use a a BI tool or how do you program that into whatever it is in your tech stack to track those leading indicators? And then then the third is the fun stuff where it's like, okay, let's build a play based on those and then really get ahead of this thing. But that's like probably way down the line. I don't know any CS orgs that have figured all those three pieces out. Yeah. and,
0: And I mean, even within Looker and now Google, I mean, what's super interesting about being a part of Google is that it is a... Within Google Cloud, it is definitely like an enterprise software motion within the Google arm, that's YouTube and ads and search and all these other platforms, they're very B2C and they've been able to lead with digital engagement and digital channels. And it's been really interesting because now we have access to these individuals on the Google side that can kind of bring us up to speed on the enterprise side as to what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And one, one of the things that we took away and we started to implement it at, at Looker to try and hone in on the issue that you just mentioned is throw out the customer journey map. Like that's an enterprise motion, it's predominantly focused on the vendor, kickoff, sign the contract, CSM gets introed, that's all things that you care about. But instead think about it as behavior maps, customer journey like moves out of the way, and you, st- you focus on the customer behavior maps that focuses in on what are the key behaviors that a, a, a user or a customer needs to take to get value out of your product and when. And it needs to be time bound. And wh- when we kind of went with that motion, our eyes were kind of open into the B2C world of like how they think about this. It fundamentally changed how we might go to market for, for customer success because then we were able to establish what are the key behaviors that users and, and customers need to take. When do they need to achieve those behaviors? How do we track those behaviors? And when none of our digital channels are resonating with the users—email, in-app, uh, webinars—you know, digital I- engagement with with the customers themselves. When none of those things work, we layer in a CSM, mm. and we realize none of our channels are working. None of our—you know—and and each customer is going to have a different way that they resonate with your brand. So some customers might be able to look at an email and say, "Awesome, I'm good to go. Like I got all all I need. I'm able to roll out Looker. Sweet." But there are other customers that want more of that one-to-one, and it's allowed us to be much more selective in how we apply CSM resource into our accounts. And so it's very targeted to drive a specific behavior in the app that we know leads to retention and expansion down the line. So,
1: I love that. A few years ago, I created this formula called the account behavior formula, and that was sort of the underlying principle of it, although what you're talking about is much more advanced than what I did. I was trying to simplify health right? going from all these 50 metrics to like that really doesn't matter if they're if they're yellow 55. What matters is whether they're going to churn or renew or expand. So what are the what's the smallest amount of data we need to reliably predict that? And the two kind of variables in that calculation were the quality of relationship score this is very enterprise and the return on investment and it basically we could bucket from that which customers fell where and then you could we could pretty reliably predict which what action they were going to take and then you drill in down into the the smaller metrics so you can figure out what specifically needs to take action but it's uh i i love that idea of just throwing out the customer journey map and bringing on the the behavior map
0: yeah, and, and the behavior mapping exercise is something that you can do. That you start with hypotheses. Mm-hmm. So you say, I think that a user probably needs to log in in the first week for them to be, you know, a, a successful customer long term. That's a that's a you know key hypothesis that a, a team member might make. Um, but start with hypotheses. Make sure it's cross-functional. So when we did this exercise, it was customer success. It was professional services, sales, sales engineering, product. That came together and said what are our hypotheses that we want to test Mm -hmm. and then we said okay we've got all these different behaviors across the first four months that we know are quantifiable so we can track them in the in the application itself they're time bound and then we said we gave that list of hypotheses and those behaviors to our data team and we said go crunch the numbers Mm. and they were the people that looked at all of these behaviors and said okay you had this hypothesis if a user logs in in the first week does that lead to higher retention? And we asked those questions. And some of our hypotheses were proved correct. Some of them mm-hmm. were t- wildly off and there was no correlation to retention or expansion. Interesting. But we basically had to go through that exercise first. And this is the exercise that a lot of the Google products do in their own kind of like product engagement mapping. You know, does a user that comes into YouTube who like likes or favorites a video, are they more inclined to stick around long term? And so repeating that motion in enterprise i think is 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 really valuable for us to bridge the gap and become more like a spotify or a fitbit or a any of these consumer applications that have really strong engagement that's how you start to move in that direction
1: really cool and i feel like that's sort of related to a topic you brought up earlier which is prescriptive and predictive motions can you describe sort of briefly what those are and how they sort of relate to the conversation that we're having
0: if you type that out which is a mouthful and it probably is going to take a long time to type out but if you type that out into google there, there's an article that comes out from like cnet or something like that some website that does a much better job explaining than i do but the, the gist of it is, is this right it is it, going from pres- descriptive analytics to prescriptive to predictive is kind of a maturity uh movement mm. and what we see is a lot of companies that want to move immediately into the predictive space that's like the most mature area of, of analytics. Very few companies are doing that and doing that well. And let me describe what they are. Descriptive analytics tells you how your business is doing. So if you want to know things like how many customers do we have on board? What's the gross retention rate? It's looking backward at the performance of the business. And when we preach to our customers, you know, hey, if you want to have a strong and mature customer success go to market, you need to start with the basics, and that's the descriptive stuff. And you need to make sure that you have strong data integrity. So when you go into a meeting with marketing or product or something, all the data is consistent. Yes. <laughs> it's not marketing coming in and saying, oh, our dollar-based net retention is super high. And then you know, CS comes in and says, no, it's not. You know, we're at you know, 89% dollar-based net retention. So that, that's the first step. And from that, if that is kind of locked up and you, the entire company can agree uh, that these are the metrics of the business, this is how we're performing. Great, you've achieved step one. Step two is prescriptive. So now you're taking the analytics and instead of saying, hey, how's the company doing? You wanna be prescribed motions of where you can take action on data. So for instance, if you know that you know an MPS score just came in and you wanna to respond to that in real time, that's a prescriptive motion. Mm-hmm. Data is telling you, I just got an MPS survey, kicks off a trigger and alert to a CSM, you need to go respond. So those are kind of like prescriptive motions. And and that's where I would say we are kind of right now is in that prescriptive space. How do we tell our CSMs where they need to be engaging? And again, we use the behavior mapping exercise to understand what are the behaviors that are not being met so that the CSM knows I know that they have not connected a database in the first 30 days. So I know I need to go take action on this one very prescriptive motion. And we've got playbooks and what we call accelerators, which are kind of our version of externally facing playbooks that can go and address that issue. And the holy grail, right, is predictive analytics. And I would say very few companies have this figured out. That's where machine learning and AI are doing things on your behalf. They're predicting what customers are going to renew 18 months ahead of time, and it's doing so with a high degree of confidence and very few companies because you have to have like i've said this before but you have to have strong data integrity for all of these kind of maturity phases to be successful Mm -hmm. and at any point if you try to move to predictive analytics and you've got garbage data coming in your machine learning algorithm is going to be wildly off you have no idea what the hypotheses are and if they're accurate and you know you don't have a strong degree of confidence in the data and so that's kind of the journey that we we present to customers and we work with customer success teams to, to try and define that as an organization. And you know more broadly, when a looker customer approaches us as a prospect, we explain this motion to them. We say, let's get your kind of you know descriptive stuff done so that you know you can report with a high degree of confidence to your board, to your investors, and you know that the entire company has a clear and transparent view as to how the company is doing. From there, then we'll start to realize how we can take action, right? So that, that, that's kind of like the, the motion there.
1: Awesome and exciting. Uh, we're, we're in the midst of that stuff too at, at Catalyst, and it's, it's a cool problem to be tackling for sure. Um, I want to dig a little deeper on one of the key issues you brought up, which is the data cleanliness or the accuracy of the data, the whole garbage in, garbage out problem. Um, I think that's something I, I think almost everyone can, can relate to and have, have encountered. How are you, like, is the data looker like really beautiful and clean? Is it something that you're working on? How do you personally go about tackling and making sure that the underlying data is accurate so that the rest of it is seamless?
0: Yeah, I'll say this, D- data is a journey, right? And do not expect your data to be one and done, right? as new features get rolled out, you'll probably wanna track those new features, right? You'll wanna incorporate that into something like health scores or how you're predicting your renewal rates or things like that. So it's never it it should be at the the back of everybody's minds constantly that this is something that you have to constantly work on. It's like a relationship, right? You've gotta like constantly work on your relationship. What I will say though, is that the tooling that's available today makes this, this sort of challenge of data and analytics much easier than in a previous life. You know, in a previous life, if you had to stand up your own on-prem server with SQL server and ingest the data with some sort of like script or something that an engineer had to write, it took a lot of time and it was costly. And I think that in in the shift to cloud, you're seeing all these different cloud vendors that focus in the data space. And, you know, we focus on kind of like the data platform visualization element, but there's also these cloud data warehouses that can quickly store and analyze all of your information very quickly and very cheaply. And, you know, not only that, we need to move data, say, from a source system from Salesforce into your data warehouse. There are now cloud tools that allow you to do that. So we've seen customers go from, you know, having like no understanding of their business, small startup, they're working in spreadsheets. And in a, a data stack combined with, you know, Fivetran uh, as kind of the data moving vendor, BigQuery or Snowflake as kind of the cloud data store, mm-hmm. and something like Looker or Tableau, any one of our competitors, any any viz tool, But Looker. But Looker, yeah, yeah. we think it's the best. <laughs> I'm, I'm biased, but it's the yeah. best. Uh, realistically, we've seen companies go in a matter of days, you know, and it's 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 gone from, you know, ingest the data, get it in your data warehouse, run a model on it, and you've got a, a, a like descriptive dashboard of your business in a matter of a few hours or days, and and that's it. And from there, then of course you're starting that journey, and so then you can improve and add to and embellish over time. But you know, I would say all the cloud vendors make it really simple and cheap these days.
1: That's great and and awesome. Thank you for sharing the the that that tech stack can look like. You're making me miss my. CSM days because we had so much data before, and I was living in the data, and I remember how exciting it would be. Now, granted, like we had no money, so I was, I, when I was there, they waited till I was gone to raise a Series A. But uh, <laughs> so I was living in Excel and getting these massive exports of data, and then spending six hours, you know, figuring out what insights I could glean and compiling this data. And it was, you know, not the most fun, but man, was it exciting when I could spit out something at the end of the day and being like, I crunched all of this data and I now know that they achieved these results or this value or they saved this much money or we need to do this if we need to get them there. And that always felt so rewarding. So it's it's great to hear that it's easier now uh, for people to do it on on not a huge budget. But uh, it's definitely something I, I look forward to. Speaking of of things where there's not enough data, I was talking about podcasting before, but community in general is something I'm very excited to be able to do that once again on once, uh, once the tech catches up.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, we think about we realize that that usage information doesn't tell the whole story and that's of mm-hmm. course why we layer in other you know qualitative data elements but what we do realize is is usage is the precursor to value right i think that a lot of cs teams focus on business outcomes business value if your customers are not using your product at all mm-hmm. no value can be obtained at all period right so you need to start there first and ensure that it is being used and being used in the correct manner and in a mature manner and from there that unlocks that kind of business value conversation and so you know we we like to lead there and then say now that we know that you know lookers being utilized 90% wall to wall at your company we want to dig into how that's driving roi for your specific departments and so that unlocks that mm-hmm. conversation
1: I like that a lot because it also probably sends the message too, to the company that you're more concerned about them just being successful, getting used to the product than while they're struggling to figure it out. You're trying to be like, so how much ROI are you getting? And just focusing on the value and skipping ahead to that. I think it's, it's an important message to, like you said, be very intentional and sequential about how you approach these different, these different levels of data.
0: I'll probably get some nodding heads of people that are listening to this in the audience, but they're probably every, every CSM has run up against this, this challenge, which is they want to be business value oriented. They want to jump to that final step. Mm-hmm. And the customer is like, whoa, 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 hold on. I haven't even implemented. Yeah, I don't e- no one's using in the company. Like I have, why are we having this conversation? Right. Yeah. And I've been a part of those conversations that are very difficult. I want to jump to, you know, how are we driving ROI for, you know, the marketing department and analyzing ad spend and all this stuff. And they're like, Guys, we're still stuck on this bug. Like, can you help us with that first? Yeah. So you know, if you if you look at all the data available to you, you can understand who's at that point in terms of maturity where you can have that conversation, and so it makes it much easier to kind of you know preempt those value based conversations by ensuring that you're looking at all the data about the customer strong MPS, no bugs or feature requests that are outstanding, that are critical. The usage is strong. All right. We understand that Looker is being mature, used in a mature way. Now let's dive into like what the
1: ROI is going into this renewal conversation. Definitely. That's that's fantastic. And uh, you mentioned earlier qualitative data as well, and the importance of that for, as an element that gets mixed in with business insights and product utilization and that sort of thing. What qualitative data do you track at Looker? Yeah, so, so we actually have a, a kind of sentiment
0: health score and the sentiment health score is something that comprises kind of three data elements. The first is product NPS. We use the pop up NPS so that we can get in-app engagement from users themselves and get that feedback from them. And that's that's you know one element that goes into our, our sentiment score. The second is we send a post onboarding NPS. How did our services team do? What could we do better? You know how likely are you to recommend our services team to a friend, that that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And the third is, is support CSAT. And that that question that we ask is, how easy did we make it to solve your technical issue today? And that's a thumbs up, thumbs down. Okay. And all of that data is flowing again into BigQuery, which is our centralized data warehouse. And we have a dashboard in Looker that literally spits out. So if I want to know, hey, show me how Walmart is doing on their sentiment score, I can see product NPS, what their onboarding experience was like, and their CSAT scores all in one view. And that kind of helps where we're able to combine that dashboard experience with their usage data. And that's what tells us kind of the complete story. Mm-hmm. The quantitative usage data, we, we have some other data points as well, right? So like, are they paying their bills through NetSuite and stuff like that? But by and large, it's the usage data on the quantitative side and then the sentiment data on the, the qualitative side.
1: Nice, I love that. And again, three very clear metrics that, because I mean, sentiments obviously incredibly important, but uh, figuring out how you make the qualitative quantitative and vice versa is is always a bit of a a challenge so i like that you kind of broke that down in those three kind of clear aspects shifting directions a little bit talking a little more broadly about the cs community you put out a lot of information and advice through your blog the customer success field guide i took a look through um well i've seen it before and and some stuff you posted but i went in depth before uh we chatted today and was curious because there's so much valuable stuff on there what is the Oh, and it kind of ties back into the data conversation. Do you know what the most viewed or most shared, let's say the biggest impact article is that's on the CS field guide? Let's start with that. I can
0: give also give a little bit of context. So,
1: yes. you know, as if we didn't have enough going on, my wife
0: and I realized that, you know, we had an opportunity to kind of share our perspective and some of the thoughts that we had on customer success. Um, Lindsay works, Lindsay Anderson, she's my wife, and, and we actually just got married in September. So oh, add that to the list of things yeah. that we we did uh, this last year. So pandemic and, and house renovation and everything else, you know, we're just like, let's just pile on. Might you know, as well, when it well.
1: course, you know.
0: Launched CS field guide, like you, you name it. So we decided to kind of share our perspectives there. And, you know, what we realized is I had a lot of experience in building the customer success team from scratch. And I have a bunch of experience with support and account management in my previous life. But when I joined Looker, I was the first CS hire. Mm-hmm. And so we were 2 million in ARR. We had about 40 paying customers. You fast forward to today, we're acquired by Google. We have 3,000 customers and about 300 million in ARR. To
1: pause for a second, it's that seems crazy late to me to hire first CSM at 2 million ARR. That's amazing they made it to 2 million ARR without a CS person.
0: They were very thoughtful and forward-thinking as to the other teams that support customer success before layering in customer success. And what I mean by that is we had a defined professional services organization that was doing technical onboarding and a defined support organization for all of the technical Q&A. That allowed the CSMs to be layered in as kind of like the additional kind of relationship manager and things like that. So it was a really interesting kind of world to step into Mm -hmm. because a lot of the things that I think CS teams struggle with are like the definition between support and success. And when I came in, that was already laid out, right? Support team is handling all the technical Q&A. Got it. All right. So CSMs are focusing on business value, license adoption, increasing maturity of use. That's it. Like that was our our bread and butter. Nice. And so I, I realized like that, you know, that journey that I had is not an experience many people get to participate in. No. And I had the opportunity to start mentoring and advising companies through first round red point and now Google ventures, capital G and gradient ventures here at Google. And I was answering a lot of questions about the same stuff. You know, I want to know about compensation plans. I want to know about org structure design. I want to know about what makes a good CSM. And so, you know, late last year, we're like, well, I get all these questions and I end up writing emails to all these people about my responses. I'm just going to put it someplace. So it's more we started CS field guide just to like, you know, alleviate some of the work that I had Mm -hmm. just that I could say, hey, when you want to build out a risk management framework, here's the article, go and read it. Those are my thoughts. Ask me questions. But yeah, it, it, it is, uh, it's grown really, really quickly. We have about 400 email subscribers and you know the community is going really, really strong. To your point about what gets the most engagement. So yes, we look at this and yes, I have delighted on the site. So we have our own NPS. We like to take emotion to get feedback from our users. Of course. But the thing that I think resonates most, and this kind of speaks to the growth and customer success, a lot of the articles that are related to people that are stepping into customer success for the first time get the most shares, most engagement, things like, you know, what makes a great CSM or how can I get started in customer success? What are the books out there or the podcasts, you know? So NPS, I love you is on there, Sweet. right? Like what are these resources that can that can help me as a CSM? So I, when I see that resonating with the audience, I, it really speaks to, there are a lot of people that are joining the customer success movement. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of momentum here as we go into 21.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, you should definitely, listeners should definitely check it out. And I think you and your wife should do a piece on um, something tying in building a, what we learned about renovating a house and how that relates to customer success, or maybe the CS approach to home renovations or something like that, I think could be, Uh, or maybe you do a video series. You said you like the Property Brothers and those kind of shows. So maybe uh, you start your own video series through there. That's just the CS approach to rent home renovation.
0: I I love it. We actually have a house Instagram page. So if you f- want to follow along on, on updates it's called Terra Nova Joshua Tree, look it up on Instagram. You can see all of the, the behind the scenes footage of, of what we're doing. So
1: awesome. Now I want to just dig into this relationship between this marriage between two customer success managers, which is a pretty rare thing, but <laughs> that's probably a whole other podcast. But I did want to ask on, on a recent episode I did with uh, Christy Felteruso, who, who uh, I'm sure you know, we talked about the five love languages and then we talked a little bit about how those kind of pe- applied to your customers as well. Curious if you and uh, Lindsay have done the, the five love languages test.
0: We, we have. We have. And we're actually fairly similar. Okay. The number one for both of us, actually, is acts of service. Okay. In our busy days, when we've got so much going on, that extra just, you know, hey, I'm going to take Kia out. Who's our dog? I'm going to take Kia out to go to the bathroom and take her for a walk. Or, you know, you know Lindsay's meeting with the, the CIO of T-Mobile on some Slack rollout, right, kind of thing. I'm just like, I'm going to make dinner. Nice. You know, little, little things like that. Uh, but, you know, we've, we've read the book and, um, you know, I would highly recommend it to anybody else who, who hasn't read it yet.
1: Is there anything you've adopted from maybe not specifically that test, but that approach with customers?
0: When you think about it, because there is a book that is like the professional kind of like love language. Oh. And I think it's like four professionals out there. And, you know, I think that the acts of service bit, you know, just to kind of apply that to the CS space. I can't tell you the number of people that we've just out of the blue been you know sending little gifts or little you know thank you cards for instance you know we had our whole team just send you know postcards to people you know thanking them for being customers and it was out of the blue mm-hmm. and it's just those little touches that make you know the moments of truth of the actual kind of customer journey and experience that like delighted little sp- experience that's awesome right and so i think that there's you know lots of things you could learn from that so like the, the i think there's one about receiving gifts so that's one that you could apply words of affirmation, right? I think is another one, yep. you know, replaying back to the customer. God, you guys are doing just so much, so many good things with Looker. Like I love your the approach. You're thinking about it just the right way, yeah. but there's so many little things that you can take and apply to customer success. I, I love the book and it's, it's applicable to relationships and and professional world for sure.
1: I love that lens. I feel like you just kind of go through, you spend enough time in, in customer success and then you start to seeing the world through CS color goggles. And all these things sort of fall into place. I'm curious about figuring out if there's a way to sort of scale that that professional love languages thing. Like is there a tool that could be built or that I could harass our product team to build into Catalyst or something like that where it could be sent on onboarding or it could be something that in part of the sign-up process you indicate. Because my thing even with community is uh, you know I want to communicate with people in the community the way that they like to be communicated with. And Right now, it's sort of a, well, let's do everything, and people will absorb what they want. So we you can do a podcast, and we can do audio, video, written transcript, follow-up blog, and then if you like to read, watch, listen, whatever, you can absorb it. And I think that's fine, and that's what a lot of people I know are doing, but I'd be really curious to kind of be able to better understand by persona maybe, by role, by industry, how people like to absorb information and how I could use that to better improve the community. And I'm sure CS teams would love to know that kind of thing too, to learn how they could better improve their communication strategies. Yeah, no
0: kidding. I mean, I think that You know, gathering that sort of qualitative information almost in some sort of of survey or form, you know, it kind of gets glossed over when you when you talk to customers, at least in an initial, say, kickoff meeting, for instance, we talk about what to expect in the onboarding we talk about, you know, what the adoption is going to look like and, you know, what the project plan is going to look like. But a question I think gets glossed over is, you know, how do you like to engage? You know like what 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 resonates best with you Mm -hmm. would it be better for me to send you a a quick short email at the end of every week would it be better for me to do a video a personalized video update like what resonates with you and you know i think that kind of gets glossed over but it's an important thing that kind of helps you connect with that with that user or that customer Mm -hmm. and by gathering that at least early then you know you know hey awesome you said that we wanted to do email updates sweet instead of me doing like a webinar every week which i know you don't like to listen to I'm gonna send you like a quick little blurb. And then that way you can flip through it on your phone and, and you'll have all the information you need.
1: So I wouldn't overlook that. Definitely, does anyone like to listen to a webinar every week? Yeah, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is my, uh, that's not community, I'm not doing that. I think we've done three webinars in, in nine months or something like that. But it's uh, yeah, it's just interesting to understand how people absorb information. And the other thing too that I'd be curious to dig into is, because it ties back into what we were talking about sort of leading indicators, is I'd be curious what people would say they like to how they like to absorb information versus reality and whether or not people actually know because i feel like with the love languages test is keeping that as an example i'm sure that a lot of people who take the test think that their result is going to be one thing and it might be something else same with the um you know doing the strengths finder or doing the myers-briggs or that kind of that kind of stuff i think we all have one idea of ourselves and ties into something i was talking about with uh, a guest on my on uh, recently which was Instead of thinking, if you want to figure out what your own strengths are or or kind of where you exceed, I think she said email like 10 people who know you really well and ask them, like, what am I like when I'm at my best or something like that. And that's it. Like, leave it open and then see what they have to say, because it might be completely different from what you think.
0: Yeah, no kidding. I mean, we all have our own internal biases, right? And this is one of them. And, you know, you might think, you know, based on your own experience, you know, how you present yourself or how what you think your love languages is, is. But by having that kind of external validation, I think it's really important to better understand yourself then further to extend that to your customers. And so, you know, using those external data points, I think is, is really powerful. And, you know, one thing that we just actually started adding to get that sort of feedback from customers back to the customer success team you know, Google as a more mature kind of customer success organization on the infrastructure side. So they're very consumption oriented. They're, they're selling, you know, like platform services and storage and networking and all that stuff. But we're also talking, you know, $100 million contracts, right? So that's the kind of commitment that these customers have. Right. What they realize is that one of the things that, that was kind of a blind spot to CSMs is feedback about the CSMs themselves. So CSMs actually have a CSAT MPS and it's sent to the champions from you know, Thomas Kurian, so it's kind of like our CEO of Google Cloud, sends it to the customers and says, look, I want to understand more about how you like engaging with your CSM, you know, John Smith. Oh, I love that. And, you know, that provides that level of feedback from the customer that's like, hey, you know, I wish that so-and-so would have, you know, engaged me in this way. Or I wish that, you know, instead of having bi-weekly meetings, we would meet monthly or something like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it gives that kind of quantitative lens and qualitative to some degree, because we ask kind of open-ended questions, but ask your customers how the csm is performing with with that customer and if it's resonating and you might find some interesting results we certainly did
1: yeah i love that idea and i don't know many companies that that do that so uh, i'm gonna suggest that internally but i think it's a great idea because i mean even back when i was a csm the only time i would get feedback was when it was unsolicited, which which was great. I mean, if someone really liked me and they were happy to be talking to our CEO and they were like, oh, we'd love working with Ben. It's like, okay, great, I can high five myself. But you know, what about customers who didn't provide unsolicited feedback? Was there something I could have done better? Did they have a problem with the way I was communicating with them? We never really knew because we might've just been sort of in the middle. Um, so again, having that data um, is super super valuable and i mean especially now there's at the best companies csms have a really good approach around self improvement and really wanting to get better all the time so i think that that's a really good kind of win win for for everyone
0: yeah i mean continuous learning and development i think is something that you know might get overlooked in the world of cs while you know CS metrics and analytics, which has been the focus of today's conversation, or sentiment or comp plans, there's so many things that go into a successful CS org, but it's the continuous learning and development piece that can really up level all CSMs across the board. And so not just gathering feedback from your customers about how the CSM is doing, that's one area that you could use to improve. But also we found that the CSM role and this is probably likely true for you know many companies out there. The CSM role is is very siloed and can be lonely, mm-hmm. right? You're working with your customers, your key contacts in your accounts, and you know very rarely do you get the opportunity to have a peer CSM you know review you mm-hmm. or sit in on your meetings and listen for feedback. You know where their role and their only role is to listen to you and try to understand what what is one th- good thing you did really well and what's one thing you could change or do differently next time to improve. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's something that I think that you know can't be overlooked, right? You've got to get that feedback. And then feedback is not, you know, it's some big scary thing that comes once at the end of the quarter from your manager, but instead it's coming directly from a peer that's helping you learn and grow and develop. And so making sure you have time out of your CSM's day and set aside as a, an MBO or you know, some sort of initiative you want to tackle continuously, I think it's really important and valuable. Mm-hmm. And kind of tying back to the love languages thing, you know, then you'll get the feedback 360 from your customers and from your peers yes. about what you
1: could be doing better with your customers that might help engage more. I think that's fantastic. That's one thing I do think we do really well at, at Catalyst is the the peer element of that. We're really, really direct on the sales team, the CS team. Things are Everything's through Chorus, so it's e- easy to review stuff. But the, we have a whole system for that. Um, I think actually we will th- that will be something we do a workshop on or a webinar on next month with uh, our CS team, just because they... On the marketing team we're like oh they do that really well maybe we should learn what they're doing so we can steal it so uh, that's definitely something coming on the horizon
0: you mentioned chorus there chorus and uh, tools like chorus and tools like gong mm-hmm. make it really easy even easier right because then you can you can actually review people you know outside of the actual meeting itself if you're double booked or whatnot you can just go and re-watch the recording mm-hmm. i've been really impressed by by those tools coming to market and it helps with all sorts of
1: feedback so Definitely, I feel like we could talk for another whole hour, but I don't want to. I know you have a renovation to get back to, some walls to knock down or something. But uh, last question I'll ask you today: What is something that you've bought on Amazon for under fifty dollars that you would recommend our listeners buy as well?
0: I have something on on my laptop, literally right here, and that's this thing. So. This is one of these little uh, camera lights that you clip on to your laptop. It's rechargeable. And in the world of kind of Zoom meetings and being with customers and you want to look professional, you know, I think this thing was maybe 15 bucks and it's like rechargeable with USB. Nice. But you literally clip it on your laptop. It's like a a front forward facing light. I would highly recommend it if you don't have one that that would be amazing. And then the second one, I'll, I'll do like a bonus one. is just a, an actual set of microphone or, you know, headphones that come with a microphone. I think we've all been in meetings where, you know, AirPods that are wireless have been like, you know, funky because of the Bluetooth connection or
1: something. Mm-hmm. Just make sure you have a dedicated microphone. Definitely both uh, great pieces of advice and things you can definitely find on Amazon for for not very expensive. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much Brian. This was a lot of fun and I'm really excited to share this with everybody. Thanks again, Ben. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit Catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Nguyen, and this was NPS I Love You.
0: PS, I love you.